Welcome back to another episode of Wellbound. We are your host, Brooke Snyder. And Peyton Janicek. Okay, in today's episode, we want to break down a pretty controversial topic in today's world, and that is sugar. There are tons of claims made that sugar addiction exists, so that your brain metabolically processes sugar the same way it processes drugs like cocaine or heroin, that you shouldn't eat fruit because it has too much sugar, and some believe all forms of sugar should be eliminated from the diet. So we want to break that down a little bit for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. And like... Brooke alluded to there are claims out there talking about how maybe sugar gives the same, you know, effect as crazy drugs like cocaine and heroin. And I think it's important for us to talk about why that maybe is true or isn't true. Mm -hmm. Um, So to talk about what sugar is, I wanted to just give a definition of sugar. So sugars are mostly known commercially as any type of sweet crystalline structure um, that's like a solid disaccharide. So when we talk about disaccharides, specifically with sugar, we see that they're mostly made up of sucrose and sucrose is fructose and glucose. So that's what makes it a disaccharide, um, or a monosaccharide, which is just glucose. And these are then used as those sweeteners or preservatives. That sounds really scientific, but basically, the sugar that we typically see or like the table sugar that we talk about is typically just mostly sucrose. Um, so again, that disaccharide with both fructose and glucose Mm -hmm. and biologically sugars are used by us as a source of metabolic energy. Um, if you've ever heard in any scientific speak ATP, that's our energy that we utilize. And that is what sugar is intended to be used as. Right. And as humans, carbohydrates are the preferred source of energy for our brains and bodies. I tell my clients all the time, carbohydrates are the number one source of energy for your brain and body. And that's why we think it's so important for us to touch on this topic and is also why we shouldn't eliminate all sugars from our diet. Um, For example, I had, I'm going to give a couple here. I had a client come to me and this was a weight loss client of mine. Um, But before training, she would get up every morning and go to training at 6 a.m. for a group fitness class and she wouldn't have anything beforehand. And so I I was like, well, you know, we know that research shows that 30 grams of carbohydrates prior to exercise can be beneficial. What about having something like a banana before, you know, on your way? It won't take any time out of your morning routine. We can have a banana on our way to that workout class. And I was met with a comment that you know, it was based, based in fear that bananas had too much sugar. And similarly, um, I just, I met with an athlete recently, same sort of thing. You know, I was like, well, what about we have, we could carry something like an RX bar with us, which is sweetened with dates. If you don't know what an RX bar is, it's an energy bar. She explained the same thing. She said, well, doesn't that have too much sugar? And so I think there's just a lack of knowledge there, you know, right. When, when I'm met with something like that, that's like, a comment that's like, oh, isn't that too much sugar? And it's like, oh, well, these are natural sources of sugar, yeah, not added sources of sugar. So I just think it's important to touch on that and is primarily the reason why we shouldn't eliminate all sugars from our diet. I hope I explained that okay. Um, But to kind of dive into how carbohydrates are metabolized, I'm not going to break this down entirely. I don't think Peyton or I want to do that today. No, we had to study this like cycle of metabolism of (laughs) carbohydrates in order to obviously take the RD exam. Yeah. And it was like the most, I don't know. It's just like 
glycolysis, gluconeogenesis. Yeah, it's like, like a the whole process. Cycle. And it was just something like you had to know. And obviously it's important for us to understand that, but I don't think it's really pertinent to this. It just right. will help you understand the the broad knowledge of like how, how sugars it's, are processed. Yep, how it's broken down. So first and foremost, whenever you consume something, right, it all digestion specifically with carbohydrates starts in the mouth. So sugars and carbohydrates start being broken down in the mouth actually by our saliva. Um, the proper terminology is our salivary amylase. And then after entering the digestive system, sugar or carbohydrates are further broken down into smaller molecules what Peyton mentioned earlier, those monosaccharides and can enter a variety of metabolic pathways to either generate energy for us or are stored for future use. So we can store that energy for future use. And some of those terms I just mentioned, like glycologist, glycologist, glycol, <laughs> I can't speak, <laughs> glycolysis, um, gluconeogenesis in the Krebs cycle are just a few of those just to touch on a few of those pathways. Yeah. Yeah. I like to keep it like brief like that. Cause it is, it's a lot of just terminology that <laughs> I mean, it matters, but you know, right. Um, so although all carbohydrates end up breaking down into sugar or that glucose in the body, there are different types of sugars that we consume. So this is maybe where the conversation happens about like, well, what about fruits or like, you know, isn't the sugar the same as that in like a donut or a packaged food item or whatever. Um, and so to start talking about those simple carbs or those simple sugars, um, you'll probably hear us use like carbs and sugars interchangeably throughout this. Right. Um, you know, there's a lot to carbs, but they all break down into sugar. So mm -hmm. that's kind of where that comes from. Um, so simple sugar or carbs versus those complex sugars and carbs. Um, so for this, again, going to keep it pretty broad, but simple sugars are ones that are absorbed more easily. So these are, when I talk to clients, it's like, I call them our quick carbs. They're mm -hmm. things that we process super, super fast. Like I'm talking, like Brooke said, with a banana, typically you're saying that, um, not necessarily a simple sugar because we do have fiber and stuff in it, but we process them pretty fast as far as all carbs go. So simple sugars specifically, what we're thinking about are like, our pastries, our fruit snacks, honey, like these are the items that there's not much else in them to slow digestion of them. Right. You say quick carbs. I typically with my athletes like to say fast fuel mm -hmm. source. So same thing, easy to digest and absorb more easily. Right. Yep. And then with complex, complex sugars, these are digested a little bit more slowly. Um, and they release that glucose or that sugar into the bloodstream more gradually. And this is when we add in other components. So this is, for example, with like rice, fruits, veggies, whole grains, when we have like the added component of like fiber, for example, mm -hmm. that then is just slowing down that process. So it might not hit us as fast as like chocolate syrup would. Right. And just to touch on the, when we have like whole fruits and vegetables or whole grains, um, when we say that these sources of food contain fiber with the whole fruits and vegetables. That's typically because we have that skin mm -hmm. on them. Right. That's, that's the fiber source there and whole grains, something like brown rice has that outer bran or coating that essentially is the fibrous part of that, which allows for, um, the release of glucose into our bloodstream a little bit slower. Right. Yeah. Cool. Um, so that's kind of just explaining the simple carbs versus complex carbs. But then we also want to talk maybe about natural and added sugars. Um, cause again, same conversation with fruits versus maybe something that has added sugar into it. Um, 
so obviously this conversation about natural sugars and added sugars has been pretty prominent. There's been a lot of comments made in the media and also even just like we mentioned one-on-one clients, um, consults and things like that. So when we talk about the comparison of fruits, which have naturally occurring sugars to sugar sweetened foods or foods with added sugar, um, it's a little bit different from one to the other. So again, as I mentioned, we break both of them down into glucose for the body to utilize. Again, it's an energy source. That's the point of it. Um, it's still important to point out the benefits that items with naturally occurring sugars can provide us with over those added sugars. So again, you know, our, our naturally occurring sugars are going to be things like fruits, yada, yada, whatever. Um, so when we talk about those, we're talking about the benefits that are included with those. So namely, energy. You know, we're getting a lot of energy, which we do get energy from those other quick sources, but this is more of that like beneficial, sustainable energy. Um, we're also going to get things like fiber, antioxidants, antioxidants. We all know are crucial in the reduction of things like cell damage and many, many more things. So while fruits do contain a natural sugar, they're much more nutrient dense than another item with added sugars into it. Yeah. 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 I think just to not necessarily simplify that a little bit, but I think we can all understand that something like an apple or a banana or an orange nutritionally looks a lot different than something like a cookie, a donut, a pastry, right? right? Like we can, we can all agree that, you know, our whole fruits are more nutrient dense than some of those prepackaged items or pastries, sweetened things or desserts. Right. Yeah. So I think that's, that's all that we're really trying to point out there. But I I do want to mention, I think a really interesting concept to the added sugar discussion kind of dates back to the 90s where there was such a large push in society to consume a low-fat diet or to reduce the amount of saturated fat overall in our diet. Um, So when fat was removed from products on the shelves of the grocery stores, manufacturers needed to compensate for the lack of flavor. So when you take fat out of a product, you inherently take out some of that. A lot of the good flavor. A lot of the good flavor. (laughs) And so insert added sugar. This is kind of where that came about. So at that time, we thought dietary fat was a larger culprit than And when I say we, I mean we as a society um, thought that dietary fat was a larger culprit than adding sugar to prepackaged products to enhance flavor. So again, we replaced that saturated fat with added sugar to keep the caloric content of certain products the same without sacrificing that flavor. And so then the pendulum swung to where we are today. And that kind of leads us, I feel like, to this discussion of discussing the potential negative effects of consuming sugar in excess. So we took the fat out of our products, added sugar, and now that's kind of where we are today, I feel like, is we're having this discussion. So I just think it's interesting how kind of the pendulum swings in history over time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, same thing, you know, just like we had said, research changes, ideas change, opinions change. Mm -hmm. And this is, again, just another area of that of like is sugar addicting and comparing it to things these are like opinions and we're trying to find research to support those things and so it is just another you know trend in our society yeah absolutely all right 
Well, now when we talk about the claim that one can be addicted to sugar, it's important to talk about what the current research really tells us. So I want to start with what is an addiction. Um, The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, or the DSM-5, states that the criteria for addiction is based on four basic categories. We have impaired control, physical dependence, social problems, and risky use. The DSM-5 is the leading classification system for diagnosing mental diseases. And um, so I really wanted to bring that definition in to start. So now where does the term sugar addiction get misconstrued? I really think it starts with kind of the dopamine conversation. So dopamine is a neurotransmitter made in your brain, and it plays a role as this reward or pleasure center pleasure center and many of our bodily functions, including memory, movement, motivation, mood, attention, and so much more. And so this is really where the comparison happens between sugars and addictive drugs, because although consuming sugar activates that pleasure center in your brain, releasing dopamine, um, it does that same thing in the way that addictive drugs do. So when we consume sugar, our brain releases dopamine. If we were to consume an addictive drug, our brain releases dopamine. But I mean, the same thing also happens when you exercise or you have sex. So yeah, I think that's kind of where the conversation really starts to kind of ramp up with the, the different opinions. Yeah. Cause I think there's a camp that's like, Oh, well it, it can be addictive because it releases dopamine, but you know, we kind of take it back to what that definition of addiction is. And I think the biggest thing is that the, the physical dependence component. Right. I think. Yeah. So from our understanding, this idea of sugar addiction or, you know, like Brooke described what that, um, definition of addiction is, um, it really just doesn't meet the criteria for it to be classified as a medical addiction. Um, that is with, you know, sugar consumption. So I actually found in a 2021 study, it's called sugars and sweet taste, um, addictive or rewarding. And it said it really well in that, and I'll quote this directly from it because I think it was really, really important is it should be noted that food addiction is not currently a validated concept as it is not as it has not been included in the diagnostic and statistical manual of medical disorder or mental disorders, which is what Brooke was talking about that DSM five. Additionally, the American psychiatric association notes that despite the similarities between eating disorders and drug abuse, the and evidence of the involvement of that brain reward circuit. So again, the dopamine, um, being that reward center in both conditions, the neurobiology of binge eating and drug addiction, uh, drug addiction are not the same. And I think this really just, it goes to say the biggest emphasis is being put on that physical dependence in that DSM five classification. Um, so for example, withdrawal symptoms from things like drugs can be very dangerous. It's like, if you're on a drug for a very long time, same thing when women go in who have drug dependency and have children and they need to be weaned off of that drug. Um, it can be really dangerous and life threatening. Whereas, you know, if if someone were to eat sugar all the time and then remove it from their diet in a way, you know, it, it wouldn't be as detrimental to their physical health as would a drug. Right. 100%. I, I truly think that that's the biggest difference kind of in this. I don't even want to say argument, but I, I really do think it's that physical dependence component of 
that that really makes this makes this point of you know you you aren't addicted to sugar yeah. right like that's kind of the stance we're taking here is right. you're not addicted to sugar simply because you know in those cases where even i mean even in some like when you're on certain medications like mm-hmm. depression medication correct yeah, yeah. Like you have to be weaned off of that too, if you're going to choose to get off of something like that. Yeah. So I don't, it just is like a do as I say and not as I do situation. I was trying to kind of give background. I was actually medicated for, um, anxiety for like two years. And so I was on a medication that you're really supposed to wean off of. And I don't think I really understood that at the time. And so when I was done with it. I just quit cold Turkey and you're not actually supposed to do that. It's actually really, really dangerous. And I feel like I did feel some of the effects of that. Like it was really, really tough on me. Um, but that being said, it is really important to, to take a look at how those things are a little bit different. Right. So then you're probably asking like, okay, but why do I feel like I crave sugar then? And as we've mentioned already, sugar can make us feel good. And I think that's an important part is there are things like self-control and other factors that can cause us to feel like we are addicted to sugar. Um, you know, it does make us feel good and that's part of it, but it's also important to assess your overall consumption. Um, because some of these cravings might come into play if you are like energy deficient. So I've heard people with, you know, poor sleep habits or they exercise for a really long time, or they haven't eaten all day. And they're saying like, Oh my gosh, I just, I need like sugar. I feel like I need sugar. And if we think about this, it's probably because we do have some of that energy deficiency where Mm -hmm. our body does need the energy back. Yeah. I think too, even, even in some cases where, you know, maybe we are following a diet or just trying to restrict, I don't want to say restrict calories, but, um, be in that calorie deficit a little bit simply Mm -hmm. maybe because we are trying to lose weight or we're trying to change body composition in a certain way. Um, therefore, you know, we are energy deficient if we're not meeting our overall needs. And I think those cravings can then come into play. Yeah. And so to kind of give this like an easier look, This is also, I think, why there's some speculation that eating like a healthy or balanced meal earlier in the day may lead to smarter dietary decisions later that day. Um, And that's mostly just because you have then provided your body with energy that it needs. So I've seen this example and it's kind of like the conversation of like, is breakfast the most important meal of the day? And Mm -hmm. like the intermittent fasting conversation too comes into play here where it's not necessarily going to depict your day. Cause if you can eat later in the day and make sure that it's all set, you're good, you're balanced, you're healthy, whatever. That's great. Um, I think it comes into play when people like are not eating to the point where they're so hungry that they're literally just going to eat whatever's in sight. And that's maybe right. where you get some of those like quick carb or like the fast fuel, your body wants that energy so quickly that that's what you're going to crave because the protein and fats aren't going to get there fast. Yeah. As fast as what you're your body's telling you that you, that you need it. Right. Yeah. Cause there's definitely been times where I'm like, you know, running around. It's especially when I run errands like on the weekends mm-hmm. and you didn't really plan to be out for like four hours, but then you go to the South side of Lincoln that takes like 30 minutes to get <laughs> from your house and you just try to get everything done. And I'm like, I could go for like a candy bar. And I think that's because my body just wants energy now. And I know that that's going to get there real fast. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think it's important too to explain that we should not remove all the sugar or carbs from our diet, right? It's important to make wise decisions on the type of sugar that you're consuming. And I think it's also important for us to acknowledge that in America, we do consume added sugar in excess well beyond the recommendations. You know, the 2020 to 2025 dietary guidelines for Americans say that we should keep added sugar to 50 grams a day or less. And for reference, that's like 12 teaspoons. And then the American Heart Association says that we should keep it even lower than that. So 36 grams per day for men, which is nine teaspoons, and 25 grams for women, which is six teaspoons. Uh, to give you guys an example of what this may look like, a 12-ounce can of soda contains about 32 grams of added sugar or eight teaspoons of added sugar. And something like a Pop-Tart contains 29 grams of added sugar or seven teaspoons of added sugar. So with those two examples, we depending on what recommendation you are looking at. I mean, we've pretty much allotted for all, if not most of, of our added sugar for the day. Um, so I think, you know, we understand over time that this can lead to increased health risks, but we want to make the distinction clear that it's not the same thing as an addiction. Right. Yeah. So, um, I would love to provide some tips on reducing your added sugar intake. Cause I think that's a lot of the questions that we do get in our individual practices as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, um, I like to always start with having my client read a nutrition facts label. So I will turn the product over to the back. We'll start with the ingredients list and then look at the nutrition facts label. Um, now with the, the new labels, it will actually tell you under sugar, it will give you an added sugar, uh, value. So it'll tell you how many grams of added sugar and total sugar are in the product. Um, so that's one way that you can just become aware of how much added sugar that you're consuming on a daily basis. Like we kind of mentioned before, sometimes it can kind of sneak into some of those prepackaged products that we have on hand. And it doesn't mean that we should cut these out. Just take a look at the back of those products every once in a while, just to see like, Oh, how much added sugar is in this product? Yeah. 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 And that's not to say that you have to be quote unquote perfect every single day, be under those recommendations. It's just saying that making sure that if you are someone who consumes a lot of soda, for example, or someone who, you know, tends towards some of those products throughout the day, just be aware of what the other items that you're eating throughout the day look like, because that's yeah. where, you know, if they're tucked away in something that you wouldn't expect, um, which added sugars and salt and all of those things are, mm -hmm. um, that's, that's when they can be more detrimental because you don't think that they're, there, that they're there. Like if you're eating a cookie, you know, you pretty much know what you're eating. Right. But sometimes when you have products that you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize that this has eight grams of added sugar in it. A lot of times this is like, even in things like granola or mm -hmm. bars and uh, like energy bars and things like that, where you really need to take a look because although we think even these nut and seed bars are going to be just protein and fat and like whatever, and it's mm -hmm. great they'll have a ton of added sugar in them right. sometimes. And that's where they can sneak in and kind of catch us off guard, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you mentioned, uh, you mentioned soda in there. I believe the number one source in America of kind of, I'm trying to figure out how to say this, but our number one source of added sugar consu consumption is in sweet sugar sweetened beverages. So that is sodas, that's specialty coffee drinks, um, and then, you know, leisurely consumption of sports drinks as well. Things like Gatorade, Powerade, 
those kind of things um, that really do contain quite a bit of of added sugar. And it just may be worth taking a look at something like that and figuring out how to make yeah. a healthy alternative. Yeah. And I think um, two points to that. So specifically with specialty coffee, um, something that I do is I ask how many pumps of syrup because I'm not one to I mean, I will drink black coffee and whatever I drink decaf, but I do like to get a fun drink every once in a while. And so typically, you know, I don't know, it's the Starbucks. I think it's a grande. It usually has like four pumps, yep. which is like a lot. Yeah. And so I usually reduce that to two because I still want the flavor, but like sometimes it's so sweet. You guys probably get that where you're like, wow, this is like so sweet. It like hurts my stomach. Yeah. Um, and just toning it back a little bit. Maybe that's by one pump of syrup. Maybe yeah. that's by two pumps of syrup. Yeah. Maybe you try and cut that in half or you just take it down one at a time or um, if they have a sugar-free syrup flavor that you enjoy, you could opt for that too. Yeah, um, right. I I think most um, coffee houses have vanilla, like sugar-free vanilla. Yeah, typically. Sometimes, sometimes they won't have other flavors, but sometimes they do have a mm-hmm. wide range. And so you could always try and just cut the added sugar by reducing the amount of pumps in your drink, or maybe you just opt for a sugar-free, sugar-free flavor too. Yeah. And then to the second point, so leisurely consuming sports drinks, Brooke had mentioned that, um, this kind of goes back. So if you guys didn't listen to the previous episode, check it out. Um, but I do talk about this misconception that, um, things that like one dietitian says is maybe contradicting what another dietitian says in sports drinks is a great example of this because, a lot of times you'll see maybe sports RDs or people who work with active individuals recommending or just, you know, saying like, this would be a great way to get energy back in is through a sports drink. I do this all the time. Yeah. Yeah. But then you have, you know, the general population who doesn't need the sugar sweetened, you know, Gatorade or whatever during their daily, you know, hangout. I don't know. Or just their work day. Like, right. right. Most of us, most of us work desk jobs, um, or are on our computer for quite a bit during the day. And so we, we don't need a sports drink during that time. That's, that's not why a sports drink was right created. That wasn't the purpose. Yeah. And so I, I think that's where that kind of controversy of like, well, this dietitian saying this and this one is saying this because the dietitian who's recommending the sports drinks is typically one that's working with athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason for that is, is because the sugar again is like the quickest form of energy you can probably find. And athletes, for example, I always think about like football players who work out for like four, they're playing a game for like four hours and you're not going to give them like a chicken sandwich in the middle of their game. They're going (laughs) to, I'm sorry, like get very sick, you know, on the field, you're going to have them replenishing with electrolytes. And with that sugar, sugar comes into play for energy as well. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, just to give a little bit of background, because this is what I talk about um, on a day-to-day basis. So when an athlete starts an intense exercise, like a football game, we'll, we'll stick with that example. There are glycogen stores. You're, you have glycogen stores in your muscles. That's what gives you energy. Carbohydrates refuel your glycogen stores. So your glycogen stores are depleted over time and you need a quick way to replenish those. Again, something like a sports drink that has that sugar for energy is going to replenish those glycogen stores then we all know sports drinks have electrolytes in them. So when a football player is sweating because they're working out 
intensely during that game, they're losing those electrolytes in their sweat as well. So that's exactly why a sports drink was created. One has the quick form of carbohydrates or sugar needed for energy because we were depleting those glycogen stores over time. And then two, to replace those electrolytes that we're losing when we sweat. So anyways, just some additional insight there. Right. Yeah. Similarly, you know, if someone's running like a marathon, oh, that's yeah. why they're taking those like nasty goo packets. Okay. I, I, I'm not a runner. I do not identify as a runner. I did run a half marathon last year just to say I did it and actually did enjoy it, but I could not take those goo packets. Like I was trying and that was part of my like fueling plan. I had it in my phone. I had how much Gatorade throughout, how much goo, how much water, like I was set and I could not, I ran with one of those for five miles, like, and I could not finish it, but those are the things that you want to be consuming during that time. So they're very important. So that's kind of like it just wrapping up the importance of those things, but also making the statement that we're, we're not addicted to sugar. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think there's absolutely a circumstance where we need things like sugar sweetened beverages or, you know, for example, if, if we have a diabetic and we have a low blood sugar reading, Mm -hmm. a sugar sweetened beverage can, can help, you know, rapidly improve their blood glucose reading Yeah. or, you know, an athlete consuming a sports drink during a football game that all, that all makes sense. And that's all like circumstantial, but at the same time, you know, speaking a little bit more generally and we, there's all of these claims in the media kind of talking about like, Oh, we're addicted to sugar. Like as a society, like we are addicted. No, we're, we're not. It's, it's not the same as a, you know, medically classified form of addiction, that DSM five right. categorization there. And so, yeah, that's just what we kind of wanted to give some background and insight in today. Yeah. So hopefully that's helpful and kind of understanding maybe what the language is. And I think, again, the language can be misconstrued where there are a lot of similarities in that dopamine response or that, you know, reward center response, but not necessarily the same physiological or like physical dependence. Yeah. That happens. Um, so yeah. All right. Well, I think that's it. Okay. 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 Well, follow our podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you would be so inclined to leave us a rating or review, we would so appreciate it. Um, Also follow us on Instagram at Wellbound Podcast, and we will catch you next time. Bye. Bye.